So about a month ago, Brooks Loki, who is one of the ministry leaders here at the cannery, uh, Nana Muir, who is the volunteer coordinator over at Marathon, and myself, we got the opportunity to travel for about 30 hours and to spend 12 days in Kolkata, India, working with our partner churches um, over in East India. And so maybe you didn't even know that we were partnering with churches, that we had any connection with churches in India. And so I want to just take a, a minute or two and just kind of fill you in on the backstory so that you know uh, why and we went and, and what was all going on there. So back in 2011, we were at Ethos just kind of looking to be a part of, of global church planning, that God was just stirring our hearts to not just care about our city, but to, to care about the things that were going on all over the world. And so our friends over at Crosspoint, they connected us with these two amazing pastors in Kolkata, India, named P.S. Day and J. Sheree Francis. And so what started in, uh, as one church back in 2011, led by P.S. and J. Sheree, has six years later turned into seven churches. Think about that one church in six years has grown from one to seven. What started as us at Ethos here in Nashville, just looking to think about more than ourselves as a church family, has now led to this deep kingdom friendship with a group of Christians across the world. What started as a group of believers in India just needing some financial assistance, they, they needed some help so that literally we could just pay their pastor's salary so that their pastors could devote their full work week to teaching and serving and meeting the needs in India what started as one just little financial contribution to help raise up pastors, to help raise up some teachers there, has blessed us immensely. That although that we have been able to partner with them since 2011 in some really cool, not just financial ways, but relational ways, we have blessed them, but inevitably they have blessed us, whether you know this or not, whether you've felt this, whether anyone has ever told you this, but the type of faith that they have, the way that they're living it out in the midst of extreme persecution, the way that they care about the gospel, the way that Jesus is everything to them has affected us is affecting the way that we are trying to reach our city here in Nashville. And so what has developed is this reciprocal relationship, even though we're 10,000 miles away, that the heart of our church here in Ethos Nashville and the heart of the church in Ethos India is so unbelievably just connected. And so we got back about two weeks ago and I've just had this stirring. I felt this responsibility to, to just share what God is doing, the joy that Brooks and Nana and I felt in our hearts, getting to see what God is doing, getting to see the way that the church is living into its purpose. And I, I just wanted to come back in the best I could share. And so we're going to have coffee and write blogs and do all these things. We thought, man, it'd be great just to take a few Sundays and just to tell our church what God is doing. That we take our, our, our offering every Sunday on, or every birthday Sunday, we do this once a year, we take our money and we give 100% of it away and we, and we give it to, to India. And so I wanted to just let you know about the, the things that God is doing in there. So I have kind of two purposes this morning. The first is this, I want to just inform you of the, the things that they are doing, things that they are trying to reach Kolkata, India. I want to tell you about the ways that they're choosing to invest the money that we got to partner with them for the kingdom, because I think it's going to bring a lot of joy to your heart. And the second thing that I want to do today is, is just encourage us and inspire us. And so two weeks from today, we're going to take up a, a big offering on our birthday, and we're going to celebrate, and we're going to give every penny of it to our brothers and sisters in India. 
And so my prayer is that today our hearts would just be stirred by what God is doing in India. Not that we would neglect uh, things that God is doing in other places of the world that maybe God has called you to. Not that we neglect the ministry that God has for us in our own backyard, but that God would start stretching us and helping us care more about the global church family. And so those are my two purposes today. For more about what's going on, kind of inspire us to, to be generous leading up to birthday Sunday. And so I want to frame this whole conversation by looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul, the, the apostle, um, was writing these letters to all these different churches. And, uh, and these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 have been resonating with me so personally over the past uh, season of my life. And, and I think one reason is because the thing that, that I see playing out in 2 Corinthians 8 is the same thing that's playing out here in Nashville and in India. See, here's what I mean by this. In, in the first century, when, when the first Corinthians and the, the other books in the New Testament were written, the, the church had this, this heart for all the other churches. That what you see unfolding in the New Testament is that they were caring about each other and they were sharing leaders and they were sharing resources and they weren't just caring about the things that were going on in their own backyard, but they cared about things that, were, that God was doing all over the world. It's like they understood that they were on the same team. They understood that if, if one church was struggling in one part of the country... It meant that the kingdom wasn't forcefully advancing the way that it could be or the way that it should be. And so they took those things personal and they go, what, whatever, if there's a church that's weak, we want to help it. We want to give whatever we can to bless and to nourish and to build up and to support what God is doing all over the world. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is writing this letter to this group of Christians, this church in Corinth. And he says, I want you to know that Jerusalem, the church of Jerusalem, which once was the hub of Christianity, the church there is weak, it is struggling, and these other churches in another city in Macedonia, the cities of Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, they, they heard about this huge need in Jerusalem, and they urged me, they begged me, hey, can we give our money to help support them? And Paul's writing the church of Corinth to inform them of what the needs are and to invite them into giving. And so this is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to this church. He says, now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, that in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. Listen to this. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. So last year, there's a huge need in India. That P.S. and J. Sheree are just kingdom advancers, and, and, and they had this huge plan to, to change India. And in order to keep doing the work in India, they, they, they needed some money. And so we just shared with you the, the few weeks leading up to our birthday last year, and we said, hey, this is the need. We think God's given us this opportunity to do something about it. And last year on our birthday, as a church family, we gave $125,000 and we gave every penny of it to India. And so I see you living into this. That you desired, you, you, you sacrificed, you gave your money to take care of people that most of whom you will never meet this side of heaven. You're living into the scriptures, my friends. And I want to tell you some stories about the way that the kingdom is advancing in East India. Put up that first picture, please. And so these are our, our two um, church pastors 
kind of senior leaders over at the churches in Ethos, India. So in the middle is J. Sheree Francis, and right beside her is P.S. Day. And they are not married. They are married to different people, but they have the kind of same kingdom heart. They've been kingdom advancing for a long time. They met in 2009 in India while working at Compassion International. If you know anything about Compassion, it's an amazing organization helping children in, in poverty and just really raising up people to, to, to care for people that are in need all over the world. And so they were giving their lives to, to already serving and advancing the, the kingdom in the name of Jesus. And they started to, to have a heart for the things that were going on right in their own backyard. And so part of the, the places that were around them were the slums. And I don't know if you've ever been to the slums, if you've ever heard about the slums, if you've ever seen pictures of the slums, but they realized that there were all these families, these children that, that were just starving physically and spiritually. And so they started giving their own money and their own time to investing in these children, families in the slums. In 2009, God started stirring their heart. Hey, P.S., J. Sheree, I don't want you just to give your money. I want you to give your lives to these people. So in 2009, they left Compassion International where they left their salary, they left their insurance, they left their benefits, they left everything that was comfortable to go and to start ministering, to set up a church and to raise up disciples in the slums, literally in the poorest part of Kolkata. Now, I'll preface it like this. A lot of what I'm going to be talking about today as I'm telling stories is talking about the different villages that we are in. And this is no way an overarching statement of all of India. The poverty is, is not like that all over India. I've never been. This is the only part of India that I've been to. And the villages that, that we're going to be talking about, the villages that our people are trying to reach, they are the poorest of the poor. And so I don't want you just to, to leave here going, oh, that's all of India. No, but, but this is the places that our churches are, are working in. So P.S. and Jay Sheree, you know, P.S. travels two hours to work every day. His commute is two hours. When he goes into the office, that's how long it takes him. He'll walk to the train station, then he'll ride the train for about an hour, and then he'll get off the train and he'll get in a bus, but it's not like a bus here in America. It's no air conditioning. There's, there are more Indians packed into that bus than a fire marshal would ever allow here, and, and they're driving down the interstate, and he gets off the bus, and then he, and, or he gets off the bus, and then he walks to his office, and it takes him two hours even to begin his work. Two prayers that P.S. prays for his church. The first is this. He says, I don't pray that persecution won't come to our people. I pray that when persecution comes, they stand strong in it. And the second prayer that I pray is that persecution will come through me as their leader first. He said, then and only then as our people get to watch me, their leader, walking through persecution faithfully with Jesus, then they will have the courage to walk through it. And this is the type of man that is leading the churches in India. Jay Shree is just as incredible. She was on track to be the successful teacher, climbing the ranks. In fact, the person that was administrating the school that she was working in uh, kind of had her hand on her and said, hey, you're going to be my protege. You're, you're going to be the successor. You're, you're what's next. And, and about that time, um, she, felt the God, the, the God, she felt God calling her to leave this job and to go and start uh, to work in Compassion International. And a few years later, she leaves Compassion to start ministering. And we're riding with her. And she says this line to us. She says, it is, it is just better to, 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 to live out God's plans. That there's so much joy when we do things that God has for us. P.S. and J. Cherie, every Sunday they will travel to two different churches. So they'll get up and they'll preach at one church and then they'll travel to another church and they'll preach there again and they'll go home. And I just want you to know as quick as I can tell you about the integrity and the faithfulness and the love for Jesus and Jesus' people for the kingdom of God and P.S. and J. Cherie's heart. 
They have seven churches. They call them projects because it's much more holistic. And I want to just kind of show you some pictures and tell you some stories about some of the churches, some of the projects and things that we're getting to be a part of. And so uh, the first picture, the first two pictures, um, I don't know if you've ever been to the slums. These, this is a picture of, of what life is like for people that live there. It's a government-owned property. People will build houses out of bamboo, out of tarps, whatever they can find. Go to the next picture, please. And yeah, this is just kind of a, a glimpse of, of what many people's lives are like there. So P.S. and J. Cherie um, just literally start devoting their time and energy to going to the poorest of the poor, go to the, the trash dump where people live and and they start to assess the situation and they, and they start to realize that, that there are all these cycles of, of poverty and of alcoholism that, that if they could just get to the root of it, they, 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 they said to Brooks and Anana, we can change India. That we are going to change India and looking in their eyes, you know that they actually believe it. You know that it's going to come true. And so holistically, they're, they're coming in and they're going, okay, this is what's going on. How do we start helping? And so they started to just preach Jesus in the slums. And they realized that the people couldn't listen because they were so hungry. Go to the next picture. P.S. and J. Cherie, um, through the money that we got to give last year, they decided to, to start feeding the children there. So for about 20 days out of the month, they will feed 600 kids one meal a day. And the meal is, I'm trying to take a picture there to best capture it. I'm obviously no photographer a little bowl of, of chicken and vegetable soup, two pieces of sliced bread and a banana. And as we were passing out this food to these children, they just looked at us and they said, thank you. And you just felt the, the, the warmth from their heart and their eyes. Beast and J. Shree told us that, that these children, they wouldn't eat if we weren't feeding them, that they would go into the dumps and they would eat the food that rich people threw away. Or sometimes their parents would make enough money at their labor to, to bring home food. But so often the children just didn't eat. They didn't eat healthy food. And so they feed the children, they feed 600 kids every day, or 20 days out of the month, I should say, not even every day of the month. But they didn't want to just feed the kids, they realized that there were, there were other elements to it, that, that you have to pay for education, and so we take that for granted here in America, there's free public education, I mean, we pay for it in our taxes, but, but when you send your kids to school, you don't have to like pay, but there you do. And so all these kids were stuck in cycles of poverty because their parents just couldn't afford to send them into school. And so the kids have all these dreams and desires and things that they want to do and accomplish to be doctors and nurses and evangelists and work on computers, but they just didn't have the opportunity in front of them. And so P.S. and J. Cherie took that money that we gave and they send 600 kids to school every year. But they wanted to, to not just give the kids the bare minimum. They kept saying this line to us. They said, we, we want these kids to grow out of the slums and then never come back. And so they hired English tutors and tutors with computers to literally go into the villages, into the slums, and after school to, to enhance and to, to give. And so the reality is that they get some of that in school, but, but not, to the, to the number that they, not to the amount that they need to be successful in India. I'm telling you, it's holistic. It's, it's beautiful. And so they're doing all these things for the kids. And, and they realize, oh, there's some other fences that needed to be put up. So husbands and wives, they would get up early in the morning that lived in the slums. and They would go off to work. And what that meant if you had kids is that it left the kids defenseless. That the girls were taken advantage of. And the boys got into all kinds of trouble. 
Because no one was there to protect them. No one, there was, no one was there to correct them and discipline them. And so Bias and Jay Sheree said, what if we can find a way to keep moms in the home? And so they hired beauticians and they hired seamstresses literally to go into the slums to train these moms how to sew so that their moms, they could wake up and they could raise their own children and they could protect their daughters and they could discipline their sons and that they could also learn how to sew or learn a trade that could, uh, their, their crafts would then be sold in the market and, and that the system that P.S. and J. Sheree are trying to build it's holistic. It's beautiful. Go to the next slide. I love this. As we were leaving the, the slums, they had this water well. It's a 1,200-foot uh, deep water well that they built that serves the entire slum community, Christians, non-Christians. We're giving them living. We're giving them this water. They have to walk about a half a mile to their cleanest water source for a clean water source. We put a well right in their backyard. Go to the next picture, please. This is a picture of Nana. She's a volunteer coordinator. She's teaching the children. There's about 100 children. And because I'm a terrible photographer, I didn't get them all in the same frame. And so um, they're sitting kind of on the back side of this. And, and she is teaching them the story of Jesus calming the storm. And about halfway through, she stops her teaching. And she says, and do you know what happens next? And about 100 kids, ages 3 to 15, they just shout out. And we realize, oh, these kids, they're learning about Jesus. They know the stories, that they were eager to, to worship and to dance and, and to hear the word of God being proclaimed, that we were, we're giving them food, we're giving them education, we're giving them water, and we're giving them living water. This is a building that they meet in every Sunday to worship Jesus. And God is changing people's lives to it. Let's go to the next set of slides. That's the first project, the slums. The next set of pictures, the next project is called the Dream House. And we actually got to be a part of this of helping uh, build it and fund it back in the day. So essentially, uh, 25 girls live in this house. Go to the next picture. I have two daughters of my own, and I felt really good about their security walls. They're about 10, 12 feet high, and at the top is their version of barbed wire. It's just glass bottles that has been put in the cement, and so they're serious about protecting their girls. Go to the next picture. These are the, the beds that they sleep on. It's just a piece of plywood. And then one more picture. These are some of the girls that get to be a part of the dream home. And, and essentially, the dream home is a, is a safe place. It's for, for girls to go during the week to become educated, um, to be safe, to learn about Jesus. It's very holistic. Um, but it's not always the case. And so they, they want the girls to go home on the weekends because they want them to have relationships with their families. But some of these girls, that's just not, the, that's not healthy for them. And so they told us about, about one little girl. And... Growing up, and her, her dad physically beat her and her mom. And this just went on every single day. It got so bad that the mom left. So this little girl becomes the, the sole target of the father's physical and now sexual abuse. And it becomes so bad that she doesn't have, see any light. She doesn't see any hope. And so she wakes up early one morning, and she goes, and she finds a tree, and she tries to hang herself. And one of the neighbors finds her, and they rescue her. They cut her down. And this girl is, immediately gets put in the dream home for, for reasons to protect her from her dad so that she can be safe. And she was telling Brooks and Anna and I, we didn't, we didn't know if this girl was even going to make it when she came here. She was so messed up, as you can imagine. And there was so much pain and so much just woundedness. And they said, but you would not believe the transformation that's happening. 
the way this girl is healing and coming alive and thriving, and, and, and this is part of what we're getting to be a part of. They have a church that meets there every Sunday. Go to the last picture. We walked in, and there are these people gathered, and they speak Bengali, and we don't speak Bengali, so I don't know what they were talking about, but, but Pius goes down, and he sits right in the middle of them, and we were asking, hey, who are these people? And they said, oh, they're people that live in this village that, that come to this church. Primarily Hindu culture, you know, less than 3% Christians. Majority Hindu, majority Muslim. And people are coming to know Jesus in the groves. The next project, the next church is Katapakor. The next picture, um, this is uh, P.S. and J. Shree told us that the poor in the, the outskirts, and so this village is about two hours outside the city. The slums is kind of right in the heart of the city. They said the, the poor that live here are, are just as poor as the ones in the slums. You just wouldn't know it because these people have roofs over their heads that are permanent. So in this village, what people do to make money is they harvest flowers. And so all over the village, all over the countryside, there were these gorgeous flowers. They just decorated everything. And so they would get up at three o'clock in the morning and they would go and they would pick flowers. So often they get bitten by snakes because they can't see where they're walking. They can't see, they don't have light. And then at five o'clock, the, the people, the middlemen come in and they buy these flowers and they take them to Kolkata and they sell them. But, but they were telling us that, that the poor here are exploited. And so this year for a thousand, uh, but, like a flower, a thousand flowers, they gave them 10 rupees. It's about 15 cents. So we're just going to ask them, hey, what, what can that buy people in the village? And they said a couple of eggs and a few vegetables. So for a thousand flowers, just, just think about that. They're, and these are the types of villages. These are the types of people that, that P.S. and J. Sheree go, man, no one else can help them. That's a, the church's job. And so they're going to help them. I want to show you this next picture. I think she was the only woman that we saw that showed us her teeth in a picture in a, with a smile. Now, everyone smiled there. All the Christians smiled. But this was the only one that I think that we got on camera of her uh, getting her teeth. And this woman's physically disabled. One of her feet is completely turned in. 13, 14, 15 years ago, she was married. She became pregnant, and her husband left her. So this woman's physically disabled. She is now pregnant, and no man in the house, no one to help. No one there to protect, to provide, no one to care for her. So the church comes along to love her, to care for her, to support her. That She had this little house that, that we got to go in and just imagine dirt floors, open air. There's, there's windows, no electricity. We're sitting in this room. It's about 90 degrees. It's not even the hottest time in India. About 700% humidity is what it felt like. We're just sweating. And this woman sees us sweating. And so she goes up and goes to another room and she comes back with this fan and she starts fanning us. And this woman doesn't speak a lick of English, but she, her soft little kind hands, they take our hands and she shakes them and she says, joy, Jesus. Praise the Lord. She just kept saying that. The house that she lived in, there was major problems with the roof. That whenever it would rain, they'd be laying in the floor and water would just be pouring in. And so the church there said, we gotta do something about this. They put this roof over her head. This is a village. This is a picture of Katapakor. Let's go to the, the next picture. This is um, um, next village is village of, of Nalpur. The next project there, and the, the the girl in the back. 
12 years old, 13 years old, when um, she grew up going to school, her parents could pay for her, something happened, they could no longer pay for her education. And so her dad was going to give her away in marriage. And this is really common, apparently. That when they can no longer afford them, they will marry them off so that someone else can help take care of them. And what it meant for this little girl is this girl who had hopes and dreams of, of wanting to become educated, of wanting to figure out what it is that God had made her to do and be. And she, she slowly starts to see her dreams dying as she realizes that, oh, she's going to have to marry a man that's twice her age, more than likely. And she's going to start having kids and all of her dreams are just going to die. And Pius and Jay Cherie have found about 20 of these people who were kind of graduated out of, uh, of public education and they're putting them through secondary education so that they can become nurses and doctors and pursue the dreams that God has put in their hearts. And part of the money that we give goes to, to change girls like that, their lives. There's also, I wish I had a picture of this guy in Nalpore and he's the, the one that, that hosts the house at his church. And when he opened the doors for believers to gather and worship, he received all these threats that the Hindu people and the culture said, hey, you're not going to bring this religion, this new religion into our village. And, and all these physical threats threatened to kill him. He's prayed and he, he said, God, he said, they can do whatever they want to me, but don't let them hurt my wife. Don't let them hurt my children. And so every Sunday, this man opens his doors and about 70 believers most of them who have become uh, converts from Hindu to Christianity come into his house and they worship Jesus. And it's so neat is because of this man's, his outrageous faith, his faith, his commitment to Jesus, what it's doing for his family, what it's doing for the church, what it's doing for the village. I think about just his own family and his willingness to go, whatever it costs me, I'll do it for the sake of Jesus. And his son is now one of the pastors at the church. His daughter is on staff at the dream home raising up. And you go, man, look at the kind of picture of, of the lives that his children are living. And it's because a husband and a wife said, we don't care what it costs us. We care about the kingdom advancing. Last picture I want to show us. This is so powerful. They did this three-day spiritual retreat where they got all the church, uh, not all the churches, but whoever could come together for three days. And there were 11 baptisms. And baptisms are a big deal here, but they're a really big deal in India. So this man had, has been coming to church for three, four, five years. He clearly loves the Lord. I mean, every time they would start to worship, he'd be the first one with his hands up, dancing like a maniac, just getting after the Lord. It is clear that he loved Jesus, but he hadn't taken baptisms, how they say it. He hasn't been baptized. You see, because in their culture, specifically in a Hindu culture in Kolkata, to, to become baptized, to become a believer, especially for the oldest male, which he was, it meant that when his father passes away, that you see, the, the oldest male in Hindu culture, they perform the father's um, ceremony when he passes away. And by him becoming a Christian, he loses that. In Indian culture, my friend Ronnie, he's part of our church family. He's, he and his wife live down in Haiti. They're taking care of eight orphans right now. I was talking to him this week, and he said, yeah, in India, the, the dad is like everything. What he says goes. He said, so for a man, a grown man to get baptized is to go against your family, is to go against your father. And maybe we don't feel that quite so much. Maybe some of you do. But to them, it was going, man, it's a, I'm willing to lose everything. My family, because of Jesus. And the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing. 
And P.S. and J. Cherie, thanks for putting those pictures up. You can take that down. P.S. and J. Cherie have this dream, feeding children and educating them and helping people come to know Jesus and building more wells and getting girls out of, sa- or, uh, getting girls out of harmful situations into safe places. And they have this incredible dream that God has put in their heart and they are committed to living it out. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I want to read this to us because I think it's so timely. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12. Paul says, this service that you perform in giving, that's what he's talking about, is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of this service and giving by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And I, I wish I could convey to you the amount of gratitude that was in their hearts. They started their spiritual retreat and they, and they thanked us and they clapped and the whole 12 days that they were there, P.S. and J. Sheree would just stop us and they would say, you have no idea how, how important that your giving is, how much of a difference it's making. And the people were so thankful. And I wish I could just take that and put it in your heart so that you would know. But what I love about 2 Corinthians 9, these verses is that Paul says, hey, I'm so grateful for your gift that accompanies the faith that you have. And that's what I love about our church is that, that from as long as I've been a part of this church, this has not just been a church that talks to their faith. They live it out. But you were excited to give last year. And because you have, the kingdom is forcefully advancing. You see, but I didn't want to just tell us stories this morning so that we could go, oh, how cool. And the, the reality is that they have this huge need that lies in front of them next year's budget. And these people tithe. Oh, they tithe. We watch them tithe. We watch the men and women and children give. But the reality is they don't have enough money to support all the things that they want to do. They can't feed all the children. They can't keep the electricity turned on in the dream home. They can't pay for the education. They can't pay for their pastor's salary to devote their full work week to advancing the kingdom. They can't do those things on their own. They need help. And I love 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10. These words are so timely for us. This is what Paul writes to you and to me. He says, here's my judgment about what is best for us in this matter. That last year, we were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Listen to this. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. And go to, verse, uh, to chapter 9, verse 6. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. He says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so I just, I tell us this morning, because I want us to know about the amazing opportunity that God has put right at our doorstep. An opportunity that many of you, many of us, care about the global church family. We care about ministry happening and people coming to know Jesus. We care about something beyond our own church family. And God has given us this amazing opportunity. 
And I know it's not the only good work. I know that many of you are involved in so many other nations with so many other people. So I'm not saying, hey, neglect all those things only for India. But I do believe that God has, has put this thing in front of us as a church family for those who, who are interested and who are wanting and who want to use their money to invest in kingdom things. And you'll never see this, the reward, the payoff this side of heaven. But this is an amazing opportunity. And so in two weeks from today, two weeks from today on our birthday Sunday, we're going to take up a big offering and we're going to give every bit of it to them. And they have dreams. They want to build a, uh, they're already under construction, building a dream home for boys and to feed more children and to reach more people and to hire more pastors. And I want to invite you over the next two weeks to pray with your family and to talk and to decide what you want to give, what you're able to give. So that on birthday Sunday, when you walk through these doors, when you come into this place and you're holding that check or that cash or that phone ready to give, you can come and you go, God, this is for you. Think about the same way that we give gifts to people that we love, our children or our significant other or our parents or our coworkers, that, that you come and you give to them joyfully, not begrudgingly. And I hope that that is a spirit that God will cultivate in us. I don't want us to just give money. I want us to give money, but I want our hearts to be so excited to give this gift to God. The reality is, this expression, that's exactly what it is. It's a gift to God. It's showing to God that we are serious about living out the second commandment, the commandment that to love your neighbor as much as yourself, the second part of our mission, to love people. And I'll say this, this investment that we'll make that we have made, that we're going to continue to make. It's not like an investment that you'll make here. It's not like a retirement fund investment or a, a startup company that you're investing in or whatever. This kind of investment, in one way, it's going to benefit us very little. This is money that we could be setting aside for our future or for our kids' future or for whatever to give this money that we could be spending somewhere else, it's going to benefit us very little, but it will benefit us. You'll prove to the Lord, you'll prove to this city, prove to yourself that you're not just a, a worldly kingdom-focused person, but you're a, a, a heavenly kingdom-focused person, that you're putting your resources you're investing them in things that will last and things that matter. And so I invite you to take the next few weeks and to pray and to thank and to ask God. Thank you for letting me share with you about India. Thank you for listening. Um, I know many of you, you didn't even know any of this was coming. And so thank you for your attention. Thank you for the way that you just um, listened. And, and I know that God has good things for us. So I want to stand and I'm going to pray for us. We're going to take communion. We have a piece of bread and a cup of juice all over the room, all over the tables, the bar. I invite you to go get one of those when I get done praying and to come back to your seat. We take communion every week to remember that Jesus was crucified, that Jesus was raised from the dead so that we could be included in the kingdom of God. The only reason that we could even care about Christians in India is because of Jesus. And so as we, as we take this bread, as we drink this cup, I invite you to do that with the people that you came with. If you had a hard week, if you're going through something, communion is a great time to let them pray for you. Or if, if you want to pray for our brothers and sisters in India, communion is a great time to do that. Or if you want to celebrate some breakthrough in your life or things that God is doing, communion is a great time to do that. I invite us, though, as we commune with each other and with Jesus, 
to pray for each other and to enjoy this time. So let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the amazing people that are in this room, for the amazing people that were in the rooms of our partner churches in India a few hours ago. Thank you for what you're doing. God, help us to live for your glory. God, help us as we take communion today to care so deeply, uh, to be so thankful for you, for what you have done, for what you are doing, for what you will do. Uh, We love you. Meet us as we take communion. In Luke 24, you open people's eyes to understand you more fully. And the breaking of the bread, the drinking the cup, I pray that you'll do that today. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. We love you. We are your children. Thanks for being our Father. In your name we pray. Amen.